up, good people? Uh, welcome back to the first episode of Talking the Story in a very, very long time. Quarantine edition via Zoom. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Raylan Wardlaw. And I'm Langston Fraser. Yo, we're back. It's another week, another episode. I'm, I'm, yo, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. something for me to do. I'm house. But I'm feeling good. I'm glad to be back on the podcast with you guys. Um, we got a good show for you today. Um, an amazing guest, as always. But you you know the deal first, Raylan. You, you know how we start the show every every time. What's the, what we got to do first? HBCU fact of the day. Just because we haven't been around doesn't mean the facts do not continue. So what do you yes. got for today? They continue and they matter. So our HBCU fact of the day is which state in the United States has the most HBCUs? Take a guess. Uh, it's either North Carolina or Alabama. It's one of those two, because they have a lot. It's one of those two. Well, you, you're, you're right. It's actually, it's actually Alabama. Alabama. There's 14 HBCUs across the country, or across the state, I should say. So that's our HBC uh, fact of the day. Yeah, 14. Um, but that's our fact of the day, short, simple, and to the point, because um, we want to get into the interview uh, with our amazing guest. So kick it off, Raylan, introduce our guest and who she is, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, this team has been the most featured by far on the podcast via. Hawks volleyball team. Our first guest ever was the head coach, Trevor. In the, our longest interview was the assistant, Evan Slaughter. So now we have to bring in the third member of the staff, Heather Feldman, assistant volleyball coach for the Hawks. How are you doing, Heather? I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be the first quarantine guest. <laughs> yeah, thank you for, you know, thank you for jumping on quarantine, Zoom, it's a lot. You, I'm sure you've had a lot of Zoom calls. How many Zoom calls do you think you've had with the team since quarantine? Uh, we were doing one a week for a while, and then we bumped it at the very end to a couple weeks. We did, like, a virtual banquet. So we've we've done all the Zoom meetings and, you know, everything. We've been talking to recruits on Zoom, so we're very familiar with Zoom now. <laughs> Got you. It, it's we weird are. that everybody's using Zoom now because before this whole thing happened, um, I've never heard of Zoom. I always use Skype. Everybody's like, don't use Skype, use Zoom. And I was like, okay, so I don't know. It's it's an interesting You broke up right there. I don't know if it was like we, we turned or what, but like you you got what you said is like as far as Zoom, like Zoom, yeah, I, it's not Skype. So yeah. everybody's having to adjust and just pick up on what it is. So we'll take it. Mm-hmm. So Heather, you know how we start off. Where are you from? I am from, I tell people around here, Buffalo, New York. More specifically, I'm from Eden, New York, which is a suburb of Buffalo. Okay. So three words about Buffalo. I've been ready for this. Okay, here we go. Wings. Oh, it better be wings. <laughs> and corn, which is more about my personal hometown. But. Okay, so wings. What was the second one again? No. Snow. Okay. Okay. Got to. Weather's right. well, always talking point. If I'm if I talk to anybody about where I'm from, they say, "Oh, the weather up there—it's it's real cold." I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but it really is." So, <laughs> so wild wings, snow, and most specifically corn, because that's more of a Midwest thing. Most people would think. So wings, because Buffalo is the home of the chicken wing. Uh, I stand by that fact. The Anchor Bar in Buffalo. Not the best wing in Buffalo, but the original. Um, snow, because we get what's called lake effect snow, because we're by the Great Lakes. So the cold air comes down, and the lake hasn't froze yet, and then we just get dumped on with snow. No snow days. I mean, we do get them, but it takes a lot of snow to stop <laughs> life in Buffalo. And then corn, because in my hometown, we are the corn capital of New York State, uh, Eden. So we have a corn festival every year in August. There's like a Miss Corn Queen. There's baseball tournaments. 
the fire station has the best corn. It's it's a very like hometown cute small festival. So I had to give them a shout. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. I'm always I'm always interested in like the suburbs of cities because when I when I visited well when I moved after college to Indianapolis, like the only thing you know is like Pacers, Colts and stuff like that. But some of the things that people got the most excited about were in the cities around mm-hmm. the city of Indianapolis. So that's cool to like hear about uh, different things about the suburbs of cities and, and not just the city. Because anybody, if they hear Buffalo, they say, oh, the Bills or whatever. Yeah, because yeah, I'm not. They say Buffalo mostly because if you say Eden, they're like, where? And if you say New York, they assume New York City. So. Oh. And it just say, I'm from Buffalo, and that's it. <laughs> it kind of works. Sure. Very, very cool. So uh, I, I just want to know, I guess, a last question. What's your favorite type of corn? Did you have, like, a corn festival every fall? Like, favorite type of corn? I'm like straight barbecue corn, cream corn. Okay, corn on the cob. Yeah, I mean, the best is, so you the firemen have a booth at the festival and they do like corn on the cob and you get like the butter, you roll it in the butter and you put the salt on it. I do, I'm a butter and salt girl. And then they do curly fries that you get on the side with it. So it's corn and curly fries at the corn fest. That is, that's the best. Now you say curly fries, my, my head perked up. (laughs) I can get, I can get into that. I'm here for any kind of like potato. Baked potato, French fries, curly fries, waffles. I'm here here for all the fries and potatoes. So (laughs) sometimes it kills you in the midsection, but it tastes so good. It just tastes so good. So So have uh, you played volleyball in school? Uh, Well, in college, we should say, because a lot of people say, well, I played in school, but they're talking high school. You played in college at Gardner Webb, Mm -hmm. uh, right on the cusp of being in South Carolina, not quite. So close, I was <laughs> many times. <laughs> so uh, tell us about your time at uh, Gardner-Webb and uh, what did you enjoy about playing volleyball there? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, being from Buffalo, I had never heard of Gardner-Webb until they started recruiting me. And I was like, Gardner who, what is that? And, you know, did some research and I always kind of wanted to go to a college that had a little bit better weather than than Buffalo so that was a nice selling point North Carolina is beautiful um but I took my visit and I just it had that feel that like it's a very collegey feel when you get on the campus it's in a small town but it's very like family community oriented um it kind of just looks like your typical you know brick buildings quad and I just you know connected with the people that I met on my visit and that continued you know when I played there I you know have my best friends are still some of my teammates that I played with and we had a lot of cool you know road trips that we took Uh, we flew out to California and played a tournament Uh, I actually got to play back home at Niagara University up in Buffalo my senior year which was cool so it was just a really good experience and I I like the school and my professors and everything and I'm still you know in contact with a lot of people from there so so I think that's really cool that you're interested with your professors because I think that's really important for any student that's in that's in college, um, especially if they want to build relationships. But of course, me love to do some digging, so I did I did some digging on some some of your background here. So mm-hmm. you don't you don't have one, you have two degrees from Gardner Webb. Um, you have a music degree, which is. I kind of did a double take. I was like a music degree and she's a volleyball coach. So (laughs) how's that kind of tie-in from the music side um, to your volleyball side? And what did you do musically? Was it instrumental? Was it vocal? What's the deal? Yeah, so I was was vocal. I was a singer. Um, And Gardner-Webb was a blessing because in a lot of places, it would be very difficult to play a Division I sport and be a music major because the music major has a lot of time demands. You have concerts and rehearsals and just a lot of outside activities that you have to do. So it, my, that's why I'm in such good contact with my professors because they were so flexible and understanding and, you know, the coaches were too on both ends. So that was really uh, helpful. But yeah, I was a singer. Um, 
loved some Broadway songs. That was Hey, nice. same here. Well, yeah, it's funny <laughs> you mentioned that because I did some more digging and I found the actual audio clip of you singing one of my favorite songs um, from Wicked, um, Wizard and I, which, which, which I was like, okay, really how the how, how, how <laughs> I was like, okay, I kind of <laughs> dig this. <laughs> this is talking with yeah. we go into your life. Oh no. yeah, I sing that on my senior recital, uh, you know, because he had to give a recital to graduate, and yeah, that was that was on it, and that was a that was a good one. Huh, that's funny that you found that. <laughs> so yeah. so so kind of switching gears just a little bit. Um, I also found out that you're really interested in kind of cancer advocacy, um, leukemia, and lymphoma. You're really um, passionate about. Um, how'd you get into that um, and how does that kind of work with your everyday life as far as kind of promoting um, not only a product but something that you're passionate about? Yeah, um, so you know this the passion for advocacy, cancer advocacy uh, started from an unfortunate place. Uh, in 2016 I was actually diagnosed with uh, stage 3 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um, and so I battled for six, about six months and was in remission in May of 2017. Um, but, you know, nothing can prepare you for that. And I was a perfectly healthy 23. I just turned 23 and never had anything more than, you know, the flu, never broken any bone. I was never had injuries in sports, really nothing until that. And I was in the hospital. I got admitted for like two weeks. Uh, a lot of you know stuff and treatments and surgeries and all this stuff so um, that advocacy definitely comes from a very personal place of having gone through it and wanting to you know make the world a place where no one has to go through that um, because uh, I just didn't know enough either it's also about information because I had a lot of symptoms um, night sweats I'm trying to think, running cold all the time, it's been a while, uh, shortness of breath, but those are all symptoms of lymphoma, but you don't think at 23 that that even is a possibility that that's what it could be. So, and lymphoma is actually the second most prevalent cancer in young adults. And so that's also something that I'm passionate about. Just, you don't want to jump to assume anything. You don't want to assume the worst, but it is important to just kind of know, like in the back of your head, that if, if something doesn't feel right, just to to be an advocate for yourself. And I kind of was early on. I just, I remember calling my mom. I was like, something's just not right. This isn't like normal. Like I'm just sick. Or I thought I had mono at one point. Like I was like, but something is like a little off and I just knew it. And so I kept, you know, going and getting tests and just telling the doctors what I was feeling. And finally I got a diagnosis, but so yeah. Was, was that, oh, sorry. Was that during your, your actual college career or was it shortly after or? Um, it was when I was a GA at Gardner-Webb. So I had actually just, I was on the end, uh, we had actually just finished our, my first year coaching at Gardner-Webb because I went back and coached for two seasons there as a graduate assistant. But so it was right after we finished the season. I remember on the last road trip, um, actually we were had a team dinner. It was like the last one of the, of the year at Red Robin. And I love, love me some Red Robin, but oh. I just... <laughs> and then I was like, uh-oh, don't feel good. I was like, this is weird. Like, I, I, I just was like, something's not right. So, yeah, it was, it was during that. But fortunately, you know, I'm all good now and in remission. And so we, the next year we raised over $6,000. We ran an event while I was a GA at Gardner-Webb um, to raise money. And it was an amazing event. And the community was so supportive. And uh, that was a really big, that was probably the highlight of my time as a GA, just seeing the community come together like that. So you're currently, hold on, quick question. So you're currently three years into remission. So are you, once you get to the five-year point, then you can be classified cancer-free? Yes. So that's like, statistically, you're not going to get it again. So two more years to go. We're getting close, but. We're closer out than in. I know. It's kind of crazy to think about, honestly, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day, taking a trip when that scan comes back for sure. You deserve it for that. <laughs> so, so if we, if we look forward over your time at Gardner-Webb, um, you, you got some history, um, some really good history there, um, nearly 4,500 um, assists, um, which is basically the second of all time 
um, in the running Bulldogs history at Gardner-Webb. Um, so how does that kind of give you a certain mentality when you uh, approach players um, that are currently at Maryland Eastern Shore? I know you've worked um, pretty heavily with uh, Alana Blasovich, who uh, also competed back in 2018 the second you're also a setter as well. Yeah, I think, you know, even, a, you know, when I got here, she was in her third year of her career and she'd already established herself as a really awesome setter in the MIAC. But I think having that coach on the staff that was a setter and the setter is a very unique position. You touch the ball almost every rally, if not every rally. And there's a lot of decisions. It's a very uh, cerebral position too. You have to make a lot of quick decisions. Um, and just having someone that she could just talk to uh, that had experience doing that all four years and just kind of really knew what was going on through her head and kind of, I can see why you're making this decision. Maybe this one be a little better or, you know, vice versa. And just kind of understanding that I think we built a really good rapport. And I think, you know, that helped her in game and in practice. And it was good that I got to work even at Antichi, you know, we I've spent the past two years really working with them and they've been a great group of, of setters to work with. Yeah, I myself personally, because I wasn't a, I'm not a big volleyball fan. I mean, I watched the game, enjoy the game. I had an aunt that coached volleyball for many years. So I had been around it, but the way I categorized the setter is kind of like your quarterback, your point guard, your mm -hmm. person who kind of does, won't always get a lot of glory. You know, well, quarterbacks get a lot of glory, but, you know, the person who kind of just makes sure everybody else looks good. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the work of the outside hitters and, you know, middle blockers, their work is really set up by the setter in volleyball. So, and it's kind of, at the same time, even though it's like a quarterback or a um, point guard, it has a little bit of, you know, for another football analogy, a little bit of office alignment in it, you know, as far as it's not a glamour spot, you know, not a yeah. lot of people will really pay attention to it because it's not flashy. Uh, it's kind of like a layup, not a dunk. So it's, you know, it's, you have to just, but the setter is very essential to, you know, if you have a good setter, your volleyball team, it can make other people look very well. I mean, I've, now that I've been here and I've been watching and have followed volleyball a little closer, if the setter is bad, it will show up very quickly. So yeah, it's like, interesting about ball. Everyone knows the hitters. Everyone sees the kills. I mean, that's like the point scoring. Everyone, it, they're, it's exciting and but if you setters and liberos are the unsung people on that team and they don't unless if you're really great you stand out and you're like oh dang if you're pretty bad you stand usually setters and liberos they're those consistent players that just get their job done and i think they're really important so shout out to setter libero love right here <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know the liberos are usually the ones that are in a different color jersey when you come to the volleyball game because i know my first college volleyball game when i got there and i saw the different color jersey i was like what's that and then somebody is like, 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 like what's the, like what's the yeah I, I was like what's and then somebody said libero, and then I said, okay, cool, they're, you know. So then I started thinking, does that mean they're the best player? Because then, it, I, this is so bad. Yeah. Like, because I didn't know, I was like, oh, so does libero mean they're the best player? Or does it mean, A, they're trying to hide that person? Because I was like, if they got the different color jersey, they're trying to hide them because they're supposed to be the best. But if you put somebody who's not good there, then the other team <laughs> won't get to them. Because it's like, oh, you know, that's the, that's the good person. Don't hit to them, but they're really bad. Like, I thought it was like a... I like your thinking. It's yeah, it was like a chess. I thought it was like a chess, like a cat and mouse thing. Like, I was like, oh, they, you know, because... And, and part of that was because I had seen, like, while I would just go to games in college, there were some liberals who were not good. And then there were some that were just out of sight. So I was like, that's what made me think. I was like, oh, it must be either the best player or the worst player. <laughs> most of the time it's the best player so they just trying to stick somebody out there i mean i don't listen i knew nothing <laughs> i knew hey, nothing you learned, learned a lot i learned a lot i knew like i mean I, I wasn't crazy i knew like you know 25 wins you a set if you go to the fifth set it's like i knew small things like that but the strategy of the game i wasn't 
I yeah. wasn't very knowledgeable on. But I mean, you know, everybody has to learn more. So exactly. So so one one of the things that that we kind of should have touched on first um, before we got into the whole uh, spots and positions and, and volleyballs and setters is what led you to come to Maryland Eastern Shore. Like it's it's kind of a distance away from New York and especially Gardner-Webb as well. Yeah, um, you know, I was a GA at Gardner-Webb and so my time there was coming to an end, you know, that kind of that position ends when you graduate. Um, and so I got my MBA and just was kind of applying for jobs and just kind of seeing that summer what what kind of stuck and um, Maryland Eastern Shore appealed to me um, for many reasons, but uh, I'm from a small town Gardner-Webb is a small town campus, so I'm very comfortable in the smaller, you know, town situations. And so, you know, coming to Maryland Eastern Shore, I liked that it felt, you know, like a family, even just talking on the interview on the phone with people, it just felt, you know, that I could connect with them. And, you know, when I got on campus for the first time, that was, you know, confirmed. And uh, it's just been a really great place to work, in spe specifically in the athletic department. And you know, I love the girls and it's it's been it's been a treat. So and coming to work here at uh, Eastern Shore, when you got to actual Princess Anne, did you think Princess Anne is really like a buried diamond, or is it something to where you feel like the kids don't embrace it the way that they could? Because a lot of, and the reason I asked that is because a lot of the girls on your team especially are like big they like to travel to Salisbury and like mm -hmm. that so do you think because you're from a smaller town I am as well like that sometimes the people who are at Eastern Shore don't take full advantage of Princess Anne or do you feel like it's good because it's a nice little balance there with Salisbury um, yeah I think it's nice I mean hilariously I live in Salisbury and Salisbury is like the biggest town I've ever lived in like <laughs> two Chipotle's in Salisbury. When I went to Gardner-Webb, we had to drive 40 minutes if you wanted Chipotle. So, oh, same as South Carolina State. I didn't, like, I didn't I eat Chipotle like, this until is, I got to college. It's huge to me. Um, no, but uh, I think what makes small towns have the charm they do and that people like to live there is the people. Because there isn't as much to do. That's just a fact. Um, but it's really because there's not as much to do, you form, I think, closer and stronger bonds with the people that are around you because sometimes you have to make your own good time or fun or, and stuff like that. And so that's, that's what I think the appeal of small towns is, so. All right, cool. So switching to what we're in now, COVID-19, quarantine, how has the quarantine changed how you do your job you know, from March to now, now we're three months into quarantine and COVID-19 pandemic. I think it's been, it's made you think outside the box, um, particularly with like recruiting. We're in a dead period until now, the end of July. Um, so you can't take people on visits. You can't go out and see people play. So it's definitely put a premium on technology. You know, your Zoom calls, your sending video, telephone, trying to send the virtual tours that we have, just trying to get people to experience the family atmosphere that we have, because it's very strong on our team. And it's definitely why we like to bring people on visits is because come on a visit here, you just, you feel that sense of family and people really enjoy that. So finding a way to convey that to recruits without bringing them on campus has been a challenge. Um, I also think it's definitely made me realize the importance as cliche, as it is of like a work-life balance. Right before the quarantine hit, uh, we were going like Mach 10. We had like multiple recruit visits the week before uh, it hit. We had been recruiting every weekend. Uh, we were about to set up a sport court tournament, like six sport courts in the gym. I mean, we were in midterm week, it was insane. And then all of a sudden it was like zero to 180. Like we were done with everything and I think now I'm like itching to get back in the gym I'm gonna be so grateful when I get to see our team again and get to coach a match again and just kind of get things back to normal but I think 
we went from one extreme to another. So I'd love to get that balance when we actually do get started again and a little bit more. So, What do you think that balance will, will kind of look like? Because all of us can just speculate, even the news, politicians, everybody's just speculating because no one knows. So what do you think some version of that middle ground will be once we come out of this on the other side? Yeah, I'm hopeful that it's, you know, that the girls will be, will be in class, in person class and on campus practicing every day. And hopefully that's a little similar, but I think more so taking time in like either the mornings or the evenings, because I think a lot of people have been diving into, you know, podcasts or reading or, you know, growing themselves personally. And I think once we get into the hustle and bustle of things, that shouldn't necessarily stop. So I think I'm going to be an advocate for, you know, get up in the morning, take 15 minutes to read. You're not going to have as much time as you do now, but, or, you know, make sure you still, I mean, our athletes will get their workout in, but like for me, I've been working out every day from home. Um, and that wasn't the case during season. So hopefully trying to find at least 20, maybe 30 minutes to, to work out still, cause it's been very head clearing and, you know, really helps. So just little things like that, I think that we can implement and not, completely put them on the back burner even though we're excited to get back to normal do you, do you think that the atmosphere because i think i think one of the things that's a major driver for not only us at maryland eastern shore for the volleyball team is having that big huge crowd and i would say one of the things that i love about maryland eastern shore is when we have a volleyball game especially if it's on a friday night the gym is packed at least after the first set it's slammed and everybody's there what do you think um, that will have an effect on the student athletes and the coaching and just kind of like the atmosphere of the volleyball team? Yeah, I mean, we we miss the fans. Like, I, I'm hoping that we will be able to have some sort of fan, you know, engagement in the fall. We don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm I'm very hopeful because you're right. That's such a big part of the experience there. And the girls love playing in front of their home crowd. I mean, they get hype from it. and um, so, I mean, I'm hopeful, but if not, I think the nice thing about it is I think this pandemic has made people very appreciative of the, even the ability to play volleyball. I mean, we haven't been in the gym since March, so I'm hopeful, even if we don't have the fans, we can a find some way to engage them, even if it's not watching the match live and b, I know our players will still be excited for the games because they're getting to play volleyball. So it's, it's ho hopeful that there's some fans cause I miss them, but we'll see what happens. All right. So also I know we, we all are, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Because we're in quarantine, we're all aware of what's going on in the country and in the world. And so I know even Salisbury has had some protests. I don't know if they're doing it up in Buffalo uh, I know Washington DC. Uh, what are you? Uh, what's your feelings like as far as everything that's going on, uh, protest-wise, and just what the mood of the country is? Because we, for me personally, we went from a pandemic to where we couldn't go anywhere to now you have to get out and figure out something to do or, or feel like you can express your voice in some kind of way. So, what's your um, what's your feelings like on on that right now? When how the country is sitting at this current moment yeah i mean i, I think anybody can just feels different i mean there's been some you know in the past some protests and i mean this you know police brutality and racism issue isn't new but there's something about the time that we're in right now that's very it's very powerful and i don't know if partially that is because of the pandemic because we're all very in tune to what what's happening in the world right now. I'm not really sure, but um, it just feels different. And I'm hopeful, um, you know, working at an HBCU as, you know, a white coach, uh, you know, I don't fully understand, you know, what, what it's like. And I'm hopeful that myself along with, you know, other, you know, white Americans can really take the time because we have it to actually educate and donate and you know cause some actual change um in the system and so i'm hopeful that that is the case i you know i know that 
there's a lot of social media, you know, activism going on right now. And I'm very, I'm hopeful and optimistic that people are posting and they're also doing the work to educate themselves and to, you know, actually bring about some change is enough to be completely honest. And so I'm hopeful. But. Well, I think that's a really good, I think that's a really good point. Um, at the time this episode is being recorded, um, it's, it's crazy. I, so I, I'm living currently right now in Delaware um, doing an assistant pro job and one of the my route to work is is very simple but it passes by three sections of a tanger you know outlet very high populated area and uh two nights ago um i was on the way home and obviously i made the right hand turn coming down the long street to get to my street and i'm passing by the outlets and there's 30 40 cops state troopers in the parking lots of the various on both sides of the street um you know horseback uh, place as well and the place was shut down like it took me an extra five minutes ten minutes to get home and i didn't realize um at the time you know what's going on i was like it's june 1st you know um malls should be opening in, in delaware and they should start having people back in and it's you know five five o'clock, you know, outlets are, are still open at that time. And, you know, Delaware started to reopen, started to reopen. Um, and I was like, okay, so are they there because of crowd control? And then it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, because obviously I have my work I'm not on my phone, so I haven't seen anything that's going on. I was like, oh, uh, they were planning to kind of have the first testing of some sort. Hopefully it didn't get that bad. I don't think anything happened from what I've heard um, in the area. But it's kind of very surreal that something that you can watch on um, TV and with the news from CNN to whatever news source you watch and see it on TV, um, to kind of say, oh, that couldn't happen to me, not in my backyard. And, you know, less than three minutes away from me, it's happening right there. So it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I saw something on social media that said all 50 states have had some type of protest in some kind of way. And um, I think it's because, uh, you know, I remember as a high schooler, uh, well, I, was, I think I was just early in college when, when Trayvon Martin happened. And that one hit, that was, hit me probably the hardest. And like, that, for me personally, it hit me really hard because he was 17 when it happened and I was 18. So I was literally like freaking out because I'm like, you know, Skittles is my favorite uh, candy. Uh, I wore hoodies all the time because it was, you know, you in the college. You, so I'm like, how many times have I been in that situation? And so I think probably since that day, because even before that, even though you you know what's going on, you're aware of what's going on, and you voice, you know, with your friends, I think at that moment, that's when it kind of hit me that, like, it really was taking a shift because that was when my, my dad told me he was, like, cause my dad, I have older parents. My parents are in their sixties. So they were born in the fifties. So my parents got out of high school in the seventies. So because of that, they have, I have firsthand talks with people who went to integrated schools in the South and protests in the school of, you know, eight, just last week I was talking to my mom. She was telling me about protests they had in the school about not going to class and teaching, like going back and forth. And I think for now, that's what is hitting me the most that 40, 50 years ago, we're literally in the same spot almost. And it's, it's kind of frustrating as a, a black person in America, especially black man in America that we haven't gotten past it. And like, I mean, I never think that, I've, I've never thought that it would be like, oh, everything's gonna be status quo, everything's gonna be you know, straight across the board because there's the world is never going to be black and white it's always going to be gray area um but you would think that the what we're seeing with george floyd and maude aubrey and these kind of situations you would think that it's just blatantly happening like this and then you would think some call to action would happen from on top on down from the top on down and it's just it feels like it's not happening and i think that's why the protests and the looting is happening the same way it is because if you look at videos from 
1992 with Rodney King rights, it literally looks the exact same almost 30 years later uh, before this. And so that's, I guess that's the, probably the most frustrating thing for me is that, you know, we can't, like, as a country, just get forward. Like, we can't move forward. We, it's, it's always like we, we just we think we're moving forward. People can think it's getting better. And I've always said it, there's just some people who aren't who don't have the mindset to keep it moving forward. And that's and I think that's probably more frustrating than anything that even if you want to try to, you know, say it's not happening or say it's better, it's not. And that's when and that's when. That's why I think sometimes when people say, oh, it's, it's better than it once was, I don't think it is because I'm getting, like my parents telling me, oh, this is what we were doing in 1969 or 70 when we integrated. And it's 2020, 50 years later, and this, things are still happening. So that's why I, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm like, you know, when are we, when are we, when is everybody going to really truly start trying to get better? And right. I think it starts with like, uh, I was talking to some of my friends, just doing what you can just in your area. But even something as simple as if your friend says something that's just blatantly out of out of pocket, checking them right then and not going and talking to somebody else about it. Do you think that was wrong? Like, if you feel like something's wrong, you say something about it. So that's that's what I have to say on that. But. So let's you, you talk about kind of moving forward, you know, with the pandemic and kind of like the social injustice. Um, Heather, to you, what kind of advice would you have for kind of, kind of relating to both parts, you know, student athletes, both here and across the country, kind of who've either had their season cut short due to the pandemic, or, you know, they want to go um, be active in their community, and, and protests and hopefully do it peacefully. Um, and what advice do you have for um, incoming students who might not get the opportunity to start their college experience as far as the student athlete and kind of a higher education um, realm of things if things don't go back? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, with the student athlete part, you know, we've been talking to our incoming kids you know, just trying to give them as much information as we have at the moment because it's still very up in the air and just trying to, you know, prepare them for the fact that it might be different, but that it's still, you know, a huge opportunity and a blessing to be able to play, you know, collegiate volleyball. And I know it's very, it's hard for me to imagine, um, you know, the spring sports that got their seasons cut, especially, you know, those seniors um, just, it just get taken out from under you. And so I'm hoping that that isn't, doesn't become the case with volleyball, but you never know, you know, what's coming down the pipeline. So just trying to, as cliche as it sounds, take every day as, you know, because it could be, I mean, you could get cut short. You know, I don't think anyone thought that the last day of baseball or softball or, or track or anything was going to be the last day. And so I think having that experience, makes you more grateful for what you have and that any opportunity that you get to play is, you know, an opportunity that you get to play. And with regards to, you know, the social justice movement, I think athletes are more now than ever, you know, going to use their voice and they have, you know, a powerful voice in the community, Um, not even just professional athletes, but student athletes and speaking out for, you know, what they believe in. And I think as coaching staffs, it's going to be important around the country to support that voice and to let it be heard and to not, you know, stifle that, you know, as best that we can and to, you know, try and understand and relate and have tough conversations between your teams, between staffs. And I think that's going to be really important moving forward to hopefully, you know, see some, some change that we want to see in this country. So you, you talk about um, staying connected, being active, uh, kind of switching to a lighter topic as it relates to volleyball and, and kind of wrapping up this podcast. Um, every year, Maryland Eastern Shore has a huge banquet, um, athletic banquet with supporters 
um, obviously our student athletes, coaches, staff, volunteers, um, to kind of say, it's kind of like the ESPYs of, of Maryland Eastern Shore, as we kind of like to call it, um, different awards. Um, and obviously we're, we're kind of recording this episode early in the week. So when this episode comes out, the actual players who are um, getting awards um, have already been announced for volleyball. So what are your thoughts on the volleyball winners for this year um, and kind of your thoughts of the overall season um, from the Harrys? Yeah. Um, so can I say who, am I allowed to say who won our awards? Okay. Um, just double checking. <laughs> um, yeah. So we had, you know, our team went through a lot this past year. Uh, we had six new kids uh, into the program. So it was basically half returners, half newcomers to the program. And so we spent a lot of the season, you know, finding our identity and figuring out what sort of team we're going to be. And I think that's going to pay dividends this fall when we get into it. Um, but they were a great group to coach, uh, a funny group of kids, the bus rides, the, the travel was a railing can attest. He came on yeah. some trips. With us. Uh, they're just a fun group. And yeah. <laughs> um, I found my Facebook uh, page and just started scrolling and they were like hey what are you talking about right here and then I was like I have no idea they were down at like 2010 but it also let me know that I wasn't saying anything crazy like that in high school so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah it was a really fun group they worked hard and you know I think we saw a lot of big games we learned a lot of lessons and that's gonna you know pay dividends for the fall but uh our let's see our awards. Uh, most improved was Lydia Chetty. Um, she came in uh, from a junior college and she grew so much in her two years at Maryland Eastern Shore as a player, as a person. Um, she left one of my favorite kids in our program. It was, she's just a joy to be around and she worked her butt off, uh, especially her senior year, to be a really important factor on our team and so she very much deserved that award uh our coaches award was anitra anitza yastratievich um she is yeah um so she is kind of like the best uh role play she would fill any role we needed on the team she's played outside she was a ds at some points um the loudest person on the bench always cheering on her teammates and so it was day in and day out, very consistent. So we love that about her. And our MVP was Ivana Blazovic, uh, kind of our do-everything setter. I mean, she set really well, but she shut down outsides with her block. She was offensive at the net. Um, she played good defense. She was, you know, a senior captain on our team. She kind of just was a glue. And I can think of one of the matches uh, when we played Delaware State at Delaware State. Yeah in particular stands out because we were in the fifth set and she just kind of, she refused to lose and she took that over. She had a couple blocks, I believe got a kill and then ended it, I think with an ACE, correct me if I'm wrong, but she was a very big part of that win. And so I think that kind of just sums up that she could take over a match and was really important to our team. Yeah. That Delaware state game was a weird, it was a weird game because yes. it well match, I should say weird match because it started off with, um, if anybody can visualize this, their enti the entire Delaware State band was in the stands when the match started. They played the Star Spangled Banner. They played like throughout the first set. So the atmosphere of the gym was really loud, really mm -hmm. you know, a lot of energy. And then Heather, was it like maybe the beginning of the second set or like halfway through, maybe halfway through the first set, they just walked out. Like yeah, just left. And so it went from loud band to just like kind of quiet almost. Mm -hmm. And so then we played like that for like a set or two. And then by the time the fourth, fifth set came, it was loud again. So it was like even the crowd that game, the emotion. Yeah, the crowd, the match. I mean, we went up 2-0 and then they took the next two. It was yeah. the most up and down match in terms of everything that yeah. I've been part of in a while. It was crazy. Yeah, the emotions of that one was, was crazy. I was kind of sitting over there like, ugh. Like, I was exhausted after that game. I didn't even play. Yeah, I was tired. <laughs> the bus ride home, we got dinner, and then I, like, Delaware State's not that far from us, but I was asleep on the ride home. I was like, I just was drained emotionally and from that match. But 
had to get W. So. Yeah. So yeah. But yeah, that's what when you when you said that I can remember that that uh that match very well because that was once uh once the conference season started I was like some sometimes you guys sometimes with basketball but it was one of the conference games I got to go to and it was uh it was a good one to see. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, let's jump into this this last. Quick question. I guess I guess it's the, the million dollar question that everybody wants to know. Um, within the next five years, where do you see yourself? What do you see yourself doing? What's next on the books for Heather? Wow, that is a question even I sometimes don't know the answer to. Um, you know, I think right now trying to get our team to a MEAC championship, you know, I'm very invested in our program and I think uh, our players and our staff are, it's a special group and I think we can do some special things in the next year and upcoming years. So I'm, I want to win a MEAC championship, um, you know, further down the pipeline, just continue to grow as a volleyball coach and, you know, kind of see where that, that takes me. But right now I'm trying to win the MEAC ring. <laughs> hey, that, that, that's that's not a bad bad to deal in, especially. And with I would the love team. the Miag ring because then you know, as the SID, I would get one too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I I go I I look at all my all the coaches with the teams I work closely with. I say, hey, you know, I'm invested because you know. I'll I'm try and get job. you that that ring for I'm you. I'm doing my job. <laughs> I'm doing my job the best I can, but. You know, I I say I can't cheer. That's the thing. I cannot cheer, which is hard because I personally yeah. know the girls. And, you know, your team out of more than anybody, they just stop in. And my yeah. office is like, hey, oh. how you doing? <laughs> yeah, my, my they love team. stopping in Raylan's office. <laughs> they just chill. So if we're like, you know, just playing and, this is, you know, I can be kind of quiet. But I remember like we were at the MEAC tournament for basketball and our women's team was about to be Bethune Cookman. And there was like no professionalism at all. <laughs> like we I'm yelling, just go give you know, and so I can only imagine what I would do in a MEAC championship game. But uh let's let's get there. Yeah, and and you never know, we might get it at home because we've had it, we've had it in, in the heights before. So you never yeah. know. It might happen in the heights. Who knows what's it'll, gonna happen? It'll there. still be a Howard this year, right? The, the tournament is assuming everything's assuming normal. It, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Right now we don't know. Schedules are all over the place. Uh like I, I was talking, I actually talked with, with Trevor one time and I was saying, I think the in my opinion, what's the best like solution that we probably could get to to have class and everything start in August would be like everybody come back to campus and you know you have to wear a mask at all times like when you're out you know if you inside your room you don't have to wear one but if you out I feel like that's probably our best solution like right now but then also too you know because we have people working on vaccine by the day I mean we could wake up two weeks from now vaccine uh this is how we're going to distribute it. And then yeah. by fourth, everybody's having, you know, barbecues and cookouts and celebrating and everybody's on the beach. That's the right. thing with this pandemic, and especially at the beginning, things happened so fast. Yes, yeah. You had to be paying attention to the news because one day, you know, it started with the NBA getting shut down and then it was, yeah. oh, NCAA shut down. And then it was, oh, stay at home. Oh, wear a mat. Like it just, it, it escalated very quickly. And so I think you're right. It could de-escalate just as quickly. We have no idea. So. And that's, oh, Heather, it's, 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 it's been, it's been fun. Uh, we're we're glad to be part of your uh, quarantine entertainment, as we like to call it, uh, <laughs> and we and we thank you for uh, coming on the episode. But before we go, where can the good people find you um, uh, yes. on social media? <laughs> um, I am on Instagram at hfeldman1. Um, Twitter, I don't use it as much, but my username is feather underscore Heldman. That's a throwback to high school, just switching my name. Um, and then ES Hawks V Ball on Instagram, I run that account. So be sure to give us a follow for all the upcoming volleyball news for this fall. If you don't, go ahead, go ahead. I do not have a TikTok. I watch 
a lot of TikToks. That has been a quarantine of mine, um, but I do not have one. <laughs> Any quarantine snacks? Quarantine snacks. I've been very into Boom Chicka Pop, but not the bags, like the poppable bags that you can put in the microwave, which I didn't really know existed somehow until quarantine, but I've been very obsessed with those. So, <laughs> yeah, I kind of been on the cashews heavy trying to mm. trying to get myself back together. <laughs> oh, man, gotta love quarantine entertainment, folks. Right. I gotta say, thanks for giving me a reason to, you know, get dressed and look presentable. You know, <laughs> that happens few and far between in quarantine. So thank you for that. <laughs> I wore I wore pants that required a belt for the first time, well, like a week ago, and it's just I had to take pictures with uh, <laughs> with for a wedding that I'm in, but you know, it's weird. One hour, one hour. It was like I put them on. And I was like, ah. I, was, I had them on for like an hour, and once the pictures were over, I was like, dude, that's back sweat shorts. Sweat yeah. back shorts. It's, it's time for that. <laughs> thanks for Very thanks true. for coming, uh, Heather, and also guys, you can always. Find all Hawks sports at ES Hawks uh, Sports on everything. ES Hawks on Instagram, uh, Eastern Shore Hawks on um, Facebook, and then ES Hawks Sports on Twitter. And then all the handles go from there. We're in the midst of the digital Harry, so go on our social media accounts and look at everything and see who's the big winners, including uh, the volleyball team and you know, we still have some coming up, so just be on the lookout. And uh, Athlete of the Year will be out soon. So Very soon. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and see if it's one from the volleyball team. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget, use the hashtag TalkShore. Send us an email at mdtalkshore at gmail.com for any of future guests you want to hear from, any questions you want to ask. We're always open to suggestions. And it's very weird that we're saying this. But we were in the middle of uh, filming Hawk Talk when this whole thing happened. So we were supposed to go to uh, MEAC tournament, come back, do another two or three shows, and be done for the season. That did not happen. But as of right now, Hawk Talk will be back next season. So we are keeping our fingers crossed with Will DeBoer and the whole crew um, in the um, digital media department um, with their great help making the show. But um, yeah, that's it. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, wherever you can get your podcast. Make sure you leave a review, you share. We're also on YouTube. Hopefully the recording comes out okay. That should be out within the next couple of days. And always use the hashtag TalkShore. Um, I'm Langston Frazier. I'm Raylan Warlaw. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Not a great episode. I'm talking to you. See you later, guys. Thanks, everybody.